Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. Lord, we love you. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, our Messiah, our precious Savior, we love you so much. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you first and foremost for your sacrifice that opened a door that we can become your children, that we can have eternal life. Thank you that that gift of eternal life was free for us and only requires our acceptance, our belief, our faith. only requires us receiving you as our Savior. But so much more beyond that I thank you for. I thank you that it didn't stop there because it could have. You could have separated yourself from your creation and out of, out of your grace and mercy allowed your creation to be in heaven near you but not be intertwined with you because of our sin. But Jesus, through your grace, that door was opened that we can pursue you with everything in us. You promised when we pursue you, when we seek you, we'll find you. You didn't say that if you pursue me or you seek me, that perhaps I'll let you find portions of me. That's not what you said. You said if we seek, we'll find. But we have to seek with the intent of finding you. Not with the intent of satisfying some human need that we have. When we seek you, we'll find you. You honor those in relationship with you who are willing to lay down even their very lives for you to do with whatever you want. So I thank you. Lord, fill my mouth this morning with your words, none of my own. I have sought you. I have found you, as have many, many others. But this morning, publicly, Father, I give you my voice. Not to be my own, but to be yours. I have no desire to speak anything from me. For the word that you have given, it would not be my choice to give it. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
Yesterday we were in D.C. And uh, some came down Friday night, many, and then we were there yesterday for the return, which is what it was called, return.org. A lot of people globally knew about this, obviously, know about it now. We went down there with only inferences of what we thought it was going to be. And, and, and I'll just back up and speak for me. I, I know that I speak for many here, but... We went down there not knowing what all it would entail, but having, having an idea. Lord had said something to me about a week before, and, and you know how sometimes you put two and two together and it, and it makes some sense? That's where I was. It made a little bit of sense, but I wasn't sure. And then when we went to the event, I was even less sure. When we were there all Friday night, when I heard nothing different than I had heard in so many events like it, all good words without the laid down lives to back it up. And I'm not speaking individually of those who spoke. I'm talking about the atmosphere of who was there. The Lord told us that his children would be there. He told us that even of his children, there would be children that are there that do not believe nor trust what he's doing. He also said there would be infiltration. So we're going down there with all these things kind of expected in our hearts. And, and, and Friday night, there was no evidence of what at least I was expecting to hear, was expecting to see. Till Friday morning. I mean Saturday morning, sorry, not Friday morning. I was still in Delaware. <laughs> Saturday morning, about 11 o'clock, when Jonathan Kahn began to speak, I think that was about the time, he was the first to speak with authority that you could feel was palpable in the atmosphere. Even though what he was speaking was not still what I was expecting. But what we could sense was an authority. But then throughout the day, we waited, we listened, we prayed, we warred. As Shannon said at the beginning of worship, it was a war. And it was. It was a war in the spirit. Because of the turnout, the turnout for that as well as the prayer walk with Franklin Graham was humongous. I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures online, the, the, the shots of just these waves of people. So I'm waiting and I, I, I'm, I'm expectant and, and it's getting toward the end. It went till nine o'clock, but I, I, I felt in my spirit all week that we probably wouldn't be there past five or six o'clock. 
And I couldn't reconcile that as we were coming up to four or five o'clock and I still hadn't heard what I was expecting to hear, what I was, was waiting to hear. What I knew the Lord had said would be declared into that atmosphere. I kept wondering, was I supposed to declare something? Was I supposed to say it? I had shared that with a couple of people because it was really a wrestle within my spirit, within my heart. Was I missing something? Was I missing this opportunity of all these people, all of God's children that were there, even the enemy that was there, to hear this profound declaration? And I struggled with that. And you know, if you seek the Lord's will in your life, you will come to a time where you will struggle with, are you doing it right? Are you doing everything He said? Are you missing something? Those are important times to press in. Because it's not the same answer for everybody. Because sometimes we do miss. Sometimes we do miss recognizing what He has for us that we are to do, that we are to say, or where we're supposed to be. Because sometimes even by your presence, God works through you to change atmospheres. So I wrestled with that. And was before the Lord for, for most of the afternoon just begging Him for a peace about it. Because He knows I was willing. He knows I was willing to stand up and say whatever I was to say. But what He gave me a peace for was, no, it's not time for you to say that yet. What you're waiting for is still coming. Okay, Lord, I'll wait. And it began about 5 o'clock. Was that the time? About 5? 5, 4.30. 4.35, right in there. Jonathan Kahn got up again. And again, with the same authority he had spoken of in the morning, he began a process a process that was set aside long ago, and I'm not going to go into that. I'm sure you can go to the return.org. You could probably watch recordings of all this, and I urge you to do that because it's going to make more sense what the Lord is declaring this morning. But what he began to speak for the next hour, hour and a half, was the declaration I had been waiting for. It was what we were there for. And again, I'm not going to go into it, but he ended it with a charge, with a blessing. There was a transference that occurred in that place. And again, I'm not going to get into what all that means because 
You'll see it. But I want to point out one thing he said. And it wasn't even so much what he said to the crowd. It was what he prayed. He talked about, in different terms, the readying of the bride. He didn't use those terms, but that's exactly what he was talking about, that that is coming. And he said, Jesus, whether it comes through your justice or through your manifestation, whichever way you do it, do it. If it requires your judgment on your bride, do it. That's what he declared. Jesus told us months ago, don't pray for my judgment, but pray for my justice. Because his judgment is harsh. His justice is pure. Yesterday began something we've been waiting for. We call it the second woe. But for all intents and purposes, it is a time period of three and a half years that will bring the reading of his bride. It is the justice that we have asked for, that we've prayed for, that his remnant longs for. Perhaps soon the Lord will allow me to speak of what that second woe consists of. But if you go before the Lord, you press into him, ask him, Perhaps he'll begin to reveal to you what that means and what that looks like. But bride, don't be confused. What is coming in the next three and a half years is not his anger. It is not his hatred. It is his love. It is his justice. It is his desire that nothing come between you and him. This morning when I was with him, he took me to Isaiah chapter 4. I want you to turn there. Because this process that we're going into this process of readying, this process of purification, much like gold is purified, how is it purified? It's thrown into the heat. It's thrown into the fire. So that all the unclean parts of that gold are brought to the surface so they can be scraped off. What does that mean? It means that they're revealed. See, because when you are smelting gold, the impurities are inside. They're in the gold. 
You, you can't just keep breaking it apart until you can get to those. No, what you do is you, you put it in this intense heat. So it all melts. When it melts, the impurities come to the surface to be exposed. That's how it works for a Christian. For a Christian who says, Lord, I want you. I don't believe there's a soul here that hasn't said that. Lord, I want you no matter what. I want you no matter the cost. Now to say it and to live it are two different things. But when we say it and we mean it in our hearts, He places us in the fire. So that those things, those impurities, those those pieces that can't come forth as shining gold, they're exposed. They're exposed, by the way, for our good, not for our bad. They're exposed for our good. They're exposed so they can literally be scraped off, gotten rid of. In Isaiah chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 2. In that day, you know what, before I, before I read this, let me explain something. I, I, know, I know I've explained it many times, but I want to explain it again. See, in the rabbinical mind, prophecy is cyclical. Prophecy contains foreshadowings. You see it all throughout the Word of God, foreshadowings of all prophecies. What we are reading here, theologians will take as the readying, if you will, of Israel. This is after the day of the Lord. This is... This is when Jesus comes to reign on the earth for a thousand years. We know that the bride, the mystery of the bride, Romans 11.11, is the fact that, that literally Israel will be made jealous of the bride because God will do in the bride what he desires to do in Israel. Not desired, not past tense, because he still will do it with Israel. But he will do it in his bride first, Romans 11.11, to make her jealous. That's what we call a foreshadowing. Many of the things that are happening are foreshadowings of things to come with Israel. So when you read this, please... Please, please, do not just set it aside and say, well, that has to do with Israel, that doesn't have to do with us. I'm going to show you why it has to do with us. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. 
Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. And there will be a booth for shade by heat, by day of, from the heat and for refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. What God is saying here is that there will one day be a time when the purification of His children Israel will be made ready for Him. Will be made ready for a time when He comes, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who they have rejected, comes and reigns on this earth, reigns over them and over the entire earth. We know that is the thousand year reign. But he will also do this as a precursor, as a foreshadowing for his bride. When we first started reading this, I'm, I'm hoping something pricked your, your memory banks, pricked your ears. Verse 2 says, in that day, the branch of the Lord. Who are the branches? A couple of weeks ago, you would have heard that. Because a couple of weeks ago, we went through John 15. Oh, was it last week? I don't do so well with time. Sorry. Last week. There you go. John chapter 15, in case you don't remember, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Now let's go back. Isaiah chapter 4, in that day, verse 2, the branch of the Lord. That is all inclusive. It is plural, it is not singular. This is not talking about Jesus Christ. That would be like saying, in that day, Jesus Christ, who is of Jesus Christ shall be beautiful and glorious. Guess what? He's already that. It's not talking about Him. It is talking about those who would follow Him, who would say they are His children, who have given their lives to Him. So rest assured, this is talking about you and me. We are the branches. He is the vine. The Father who is perfect who operates under a law that is perfect, that was completed by Jesus Christ, still has a holiness about Him that cannot be denied. It cannot be denied by a mass group of people that gather together without recognizing His holiness. Because when you recognize His holiness, then you have to react 
to what that means. If you desire a relationship with him at all, you have to understand who he is and what his holiness represents to you and in you. See, that's critical. Everybody's phone's going off because of an Amber Alert. We have everybody here, right? Okay. Father, allow no distractions in Jesus' name. So if we are the branches, then let's go down to the most difficult part of this portion. Verse 4. Remember, he said, they shall become beautiful and glorious, his bride. When the Lord shall, this is past tense, which means it's past tense of the already beautiful and glorious. See, his bride right now is not beautiful and glorious. Anybody who thinks so is blind and deaf. Because we are not even close to unified. Not even close. As a parent, if you had children and they all fought, and, and none of them got along, would you feel that your children were beautiful and glorious and there's this amazing synergy? No, you wouldn't. Didn't change them from being your children. But you would recognize there's no peace. That's what's in the bride right now. There is no peace. There are only pockets of obedience. There are pockets of those who recognize the holiness of God who recognize His justice, who recognize what sin costs the bride, even recognize what it means to repent. So this is past tense, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, or in this case, the filth of the bride. This is what has begun, guys. This is what has begun. Him washing away the filth of the bride and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem or of his bride in the midst by a spirit of judgment. Wait a second. God doesn't judge. You're reading in the Old Testament. Of course you get this. It's in the Old Testament. God doesn't judge anymore. We're New Testament. We're the bride. We like no way more than them. We have cell phones. We can pull up on Google whatever we need to know that God needs to tell us. I mean, sounds kind of ridiculous, right? That is exactly in the spirit how the bride feels. It is nothing short of arrogant. To not recognize the holiness of God. God will cleanse by a spirit of judgment. And this is what I want to get to. And by a spirit of burning. Okay. When I read that, the Lord then took me to Matthew. 
this morning. Matthew chapter 3, and all I, all I could think of was John the Baptist and the transition from John the Baptist to Jesus Christ. And all I could think of was, was what Jesus would say that, or what John said about Jesus, that he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And I don't know about you, but what I used to think that meant, I mean, the Holy Spirit part's pretty obvious. And the fire part, what I used to think was, was the passion of the Holy Spirit. That, that not only will you be baptized in the Holy Spirit, because we know Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, we are stamped. Our spirit is stamped by the power of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, it says, until we receive eternal life. So I'm thinking, okay, we're given the Holy Spirit, but then that fire is when, when He just catches fire in your life. And, and that fire is the passion of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't have been more wrong. Because you know what? We're supposed to have that anyways. And when we don't have that, that is when He does baptize us in fire. He, the Lord took me to the original Greek. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, the second part of verse 11, uh, again, John said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, well, you don't need to know what the Greek word was there, but, but the point is this. The Greek word there for fire is the same exact Greek word in the verse of the second part of of verse 10, which says, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is not being thrown into the passion of the Holy Spirit. This is being thrown into a testing place. This is being thrown into a place where the Lord said that we just read this Isaiah chapter 4, spirit of burning. He said, how will I purify my bride? I will purify her through judgment and a spirit of burning. That burning produces trials that we react to. Produces trials in our lives. We all have them. Everybody has them. Everybody who has received Jesus Christ as Savior, God then has an agenda in your life. He has an agenda in your life to say, I want you purely for me. Not to be shared with anyone else. Not to be shared with your career. Not to be shared with your spouse. Not to be shared with your boyfriend, girlfriend, or schooling, or whatever goals you may have that are all good things. But see, if they come before God, they are no good things. He said, I want you all for myself. And to do that, to make you literally beautiful and glorious as a bride, I will put you through this spirit of judgment. Why? Because when you're judged, you're shown what's right and what's wrong. See, God is not a God like what the world thinks. 
Oh, judgment is because he's mad. You know what? That's a bad parent. That's not who God is. Real judgment and a real healthy family. Real judgment comes from the parents out of love. When you talk to your child about making a change in their life because they're going down a wrong path, do you do it because it affects you? Sadly, some parents do, but that's not love. If you're doing it in love, it's because you're seeing the path they go down and you want better for them. You want them to change. So you bring judgment on your children. This is not about ultimate heaven and hell. Like, my kids are my kids. It's not about, here's my judgment, you are no longer my child. It's not about that. That's not what God does. The judgment is to say, I need you to wake up. I need you to wake up and see truth. See who I really am. See what love really is. That's what God shouts out to us all the time. But we put in our earplugs. And we put on our blinders. Because we prefer to feel the comfort of the atmosphere that we're used to. Sad thing is, God isn't there. And he won't be there. So his judgment, that spirit of judgment, that spirit of burning, is placed on his bride to refine her. To make her aware. To bring her to a place of repentance. God took me another place this morning. And you don't have to turn there. It's a real simple verse. You all know it. You've heard it. Jesus, when he was baptized, then he was taken to the wilderness and tempted. Right? But then he came out and began his ministry. His ministry in Matthew... And this is Matthew chapter 4, if you want to look it up, or look it up later, or whatever. 4.17 said this, and this was from the moment he began his ministry until his ministry was done. Matthew said, he said, from that time, Jesus began preaching and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now notice he didn't say the kingdom of heaven is here. It couldn't be here yet. He hadn't opened the door. Because Jesus Christ, from giving his life, allowing his blood to be shed on the cross, is what gave him the keys as our kinsman redeemer to go and open the gates of hell, open the, the literal death that was defeated on that day. To allow for those doors to be open for his kingdom to come. 
So it hadn't come yet. It said for this kingdom that is coming. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, it's waiting, it's right there. Even to this day, his kingdom has not come. How do we know? Because he is not sitting on that throne ruling, even in, in a foreshadowing through his bride. He's not ruling. If you wonder my evidence of this, I would just suggest for you to turn on the TV. Maybe look around you. Open your eyes and tell me a place that he rules. And I'm not talking about individual hearts. I'm talking about nations. So his kingdom still is not here, but his kingdom is at hand. I could tell you, though, we are at a time in history where his kingdom, it's time. It's time for his kingdom to be here. It is time for him to rule through his bride on this earth to literally make Israel jealous. To show the world what he wants to do on the physical throne of David. That he will do. But he will do it in the world through his bride before. Think of it as a wedding gift. Because see, the bride is his bride. We're betrothed. We're not yet married. That doesn't happen until later. The wedding supper of the Lamb. So in this time, we are getting ready. He is readying us to receive Him. He will rule this world, not just this nation. He will rule this world through His bride. This is what the Lord has been telling us here for years. That is why He gave a prophecy of Donald Trump being president for eight years. Mike Pence being president for the next eight. Nikki Haley being the president for the next eight. 24 years. Now, I don't know if it takes 24 years to get the bride ready. And then he rules through the bride. I don't believe that. Or if he gets the bride ready earlier into that process. We're already three years, or three and a half years into that process. But yesterday began probably the most significant piece. And it's a foreshadowing of the second woe. It will bring his justice. It will bring His judgment. It will bring that spirit of fire. Let's look back at that again. Back in Isaiah, it said, The Lord had washed the filth of the daughters of Zion. Let's let's again, foreshadowing, let's look at the bride. The Lord shall have washed his bride. And cleansed her by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. 
Don't forsake trials that come into your life, guys. Don't sit in your living room and say, Lord, why does this have to happen to me? Because each one is an opportunity. It's an opportunity of reaction. Even what the enemy sends, even if it's not the Lord sending it, but the enemy sending it, it's an opportunity for you to react because you're in the fire. Just because you're in the fire doesn't mean you're in the wrong. Recognize that too. Because what the fire produces is not just repentance. It produces endurance. It produces a right way of thinking. If it was all about repentance, then I would have to agree with Paul by saying that he was the worst guy in the world. The greatest sinner that ever was. Because all he would ever do in his life that we read is go through trial after trial after trial after trial. But see, it wasn't that. It was opportunities for him to know his Savior more intimately. And to have that flow through his life. He said, I count it all joy. I count it all joy when all these things hit me. Because then I can be used by the Father to do His will. So recognize, we began a process yesterday of three and a half years. This will be unlike the world has ever seen. There will be devastation. There will be hope. There will be love. But there will be a recognition of the holiness of God. There will be repentance on His bride who choose repentance. See, right now I So many in his bride don't understand what repentance is. Repentance isn't, oh Lord, I'm I'm sorry for this. I feel really bad. I don't want this in my life. And then keep going. And a month later it happens again. And oh Lord, I'm I'm so sorry. I I really don't want this in my life. Take Take it from me, please. And then you have a good couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. And then it happens again. That's not repentance. That's repetition. That's just a cycle that makes you feel better until it gets a hold of you again. That's not what repentance is. A repentant heart is one who allows God to change paradigms. You cannot have a changed heart without changed paradigms. God takes your paradigms when you truly are repentant. And say, Lord, take this from me. Not not take the circumstances, but Lord, you're holy. I cannot stand before you. But I need you and I want you. And the only way I can be with you is that you cleanse this from my life. Then he begins to offer paradigms that would change in your life. And I'm not going to go into what those are because... Guess what? You know what they are. 
You know what they are. Jesus said, when you're tempted, run! Run from it! Don't play with it. Don't toy with it. Here's an example if you're an alcoholic. Don't get a job as a, as a, what are they called? A bartender. I, I kept thinking bouncer. No, I would think bouncer. Well, yeah, even, don't get a job as a bouncer working at a bar. When you repent, you run. You run from it. We repent of our sin. Our sin isn't just the things that people see. The bride's gotten good at that one. The bride's gotten good at hiding the things from the rest of the bride so they look okay. Guess what? They're filthy to God. They're filthy to Him. And by the way, the astute bride that have eyes to see and ears to hear, they're not blind to it either. They see it. Real repentance is a turning. It's a paradigm change. It's changing the very paradigms that got you in there in the first place, which usually circle around getting God out. Usually circle around control. God, thank you for, for, for showing me this. Thank you for changing this in my heart. I got it now. Thank you. I'll, I'll take care of it now. I got it. Guess what? That, that may last for a while. But the paradigm didn't change. It was just hidden under your control. All that will produce is the same thing. Whether it manifests differently, whether it takes time to manifest, it is not repentance if there's not a turning. If there's not a change of paradigm, a change of understanding of who God is and what He desires in you. Let's come on up. This is a, uh, a reminder and yet a heavy word today that we have to recognize is, um, again, he, he said that there would be the devastation part. And I want to state, first of all, that nothing has, of this has anything to do with man's concoctions or uh, Greg's mind. This is the Word of God. The Word of God has laid out these foreshadowings very clearly. If you get into Joel and Habakkuk, and as you seek the Lord, as you're in the Word and seek the Lord, ask Him to help you unpack it. But there is nothing that um, will allow God to change you more than when you lay down before Him everything that you think You've always known. You know, when scripture tells us we're supposed to approach him as a, as a little child, a little child doesn't come 
to their parent, to a leader, to an authority, and say, can you confirm what I think I already know? The innocence of a child comes and says, where does rain come from? Or why does the sun come up every morning? You know, there's an innocence. There's a desire to these things that I think I might know that I see. I'm going to come and just ask for the actual answer. That's the kind of heart posture that we have to approach God with. And he will give us those answers. Um, It hit me yesterday at this return that this huge crowd of people, masses of people, that all would, if you one by one ask them, you know, yeah, are you a Christian? Of course I'm a Christian. That's why I came and I'm with my church group and we're all here and people were, you know, clearly in their groups and one guy, you know, in his little, little, uh, makeshift truck bed was, you know, driving around in circles and, and doing his own little gospel message while the main stage was doing theirs and it was, you know. And I thought, why the fractures? Why the dissension? Why the differences in the bride? When all across this nation, and I'm just speaking of this nation, there's a global factor as well. But why all across this nation, when behind pulpits, in pulpits, we open the same book? We're not opening another testament. We're not opening uh, an, an author's book that was just a good Christian man that wrote about his thoughts in his time with the Lord. We open the word of God. And I would certainly give the bride that credit. They open the word of God. They, they say, turn in your Bibles too. X, Y, Z. And yet, why wouldn't we read the same book? Is everybody fighting with everybody? What they're fighting about is their interpretation of that same book. Which kind of shows you that, the, that the, the factor in the way is the human reasoning that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that we know so well tells us clearly not to do. Don't lean on your own understanding. And that is what, and that's been the toxic factor that's infected the bride. That we don't just come before the Lord and allow him to truly guide us into all truth like the Gospel of John tells us that God, Jesus, gave this comforter to do. And God's grace, you know, we've been in a time of grace. We've been in a season of grace. His grace has been so beautiful, so precious, so abused, so taken advantage of. It's allowed things to come into the bride that were never of him. And just because people have gotten away with it doesn't mean God didn't see it. You want to go to some other verses in Isaiah, which we won't do. The Lord sees it all. And he knows exactly, and, and he, there are several places in scripture where he warns, don't think that because I haven't shown my pure judgment upon you, that you're not in trouble. And that I won't want to purify this out. And, and as a parent, I know I've definitely done this with my girls, especially if we're driving. Honey, that's the last time. Wait till we get home. That's it. That didn't mean that that car ride home, they were getting away with it. If they were listening at all, and sometimes maybe they didn't listen. You know, oh, is mom talking? If they were listening, they knew it's coming. 
And don't misunderstand God's grace. He is holy. He is holy. And um, he wants a unified bride. And if we don't come to him, and I think the only other thing I'll comment on is just how passionate I feel about this paradigm change. Paradigm changes are the hardest thing to um, surrender, really, in your life. To really just give God the way that you think and allow him to transform our minds and be renewed in him. He gives us access to this new nature. And yet, because we won't lay down the way that we think, the way that we were brought up, how we felt we were taught, we never really allow that transformation to take place. And sometimes it's out of arrogance, but sometimes it's out of fear. But if I come to him as a little child, if I lay down this Bible and say, okay, God, just, you know, just talk to me, just speak to me as I read it. What if a deceiving spirit comes? What if some, some other voice comes? You know, trust, and I'll just quote a, a line from our soon-to-be-and-becoming famous author in this church that you know, uh, who wrote a blog recently. And one of the lines in her recent blog was, trust is not built until it is needed. And to walk in a faith place and in a trust place brings us to this t- place of need where we, we absolutely need God to interpret it. If we don't trust that he is the one that we love, if we, if we don't trust that he knows that our heart wants him, it doesn't want the enemy. It doesn't want the demonic spirit. It doesn't want that. Then we can trust, especially as we read his word, that what I'm reading is true. What I'm reading is that if my heart desires you, and Second Corinthians 10.5 says that I can cast down the imaginations, the proud arguments that come and try to exalt themselves against the knowledge of you, God. And I can bring these thoughts into captivity. I believe that. I trust that that's true. And that I won't be deceived because I'm seeking you and you're going to protect me. See, when you take what you think you know, even about the word of God, to God, then you're saying, I'm going to hold on to the, the, the sensibilities and the, the strength of my intellect to keep me from being deceived and yet that very, the very premise of those thoughts is that you, in fact, are going to be deceived. You are deceived. There's no trust there. There's no faith. And that is what has been broken down. We have gotten so lost in man's interpretation of the word of God that now we're so fractured, so off. And only God, you know, at the end of the day, and I was looking at this mass of people, and I thought, at the end of the day, God, only you know the true hearts. Of people, There is a gift of the spirit called discerning of spirits where oftentimes we can discern in the spirit a purity of heart. And that is true. That is a gift that the Lord gives us in his Holy Spirit, through his Holy Spirit. But ultimately, God only knows the hearts. And so what we need to be responsible for is to walk by faith and walk in truth and walk in his love and speak that forth. And as we're filled with love and filled to spilling over, spill that love over, 
But as we each take responsibility for that and then spread, be a vessel through which he can work and move, and we really are living and moving and having our being in him, that is what will begin to ready the bride as each of us take that responsibility. And the trials and the pressure and the sadly, the desperation that will come to the body of Christ to squeeze us enough to recognize that, you know what? This squeeze is going to show you that you can't do it without me. Now, most of us are smart enough to recognize there is several things in our lives that we can do without him or that we can't do without him. But there's still those things that, just like Greg said, I got it from here, God. Thank you. I love you. I, I trust you. And I, I thank you for that principle, Lord. But let me just do my thing. And God is saying, no, I need you more pure than that. Because you kind of think you know more than you really know. You don't even know what you don't know. And so here comes the squeeze. And I know many of us in this room, have you ever just been so desperate that you're just like, okay, wow. Wow. I don't know why it took so long, Lord, but none of this is working. This is not working. I actually need you for what I thought I was good with. That's the fire that will begin to refine and begin to squeeze us into that choice that is so important. Not that overreaching. Everybody that came to the event yesterday was choosing God, so to speak. That's why they were there. But yet, how many parts of their life were actually laid down to where it cost them everything? Someone recently debated with me in Facebook um, and compared when I mentioned it will cost you everything. They said, well, yeah, but that's only if you're a missionary or a pastor. Depending on your calling, it will cost you everything. If you're just like a regular person working, then that's not the same thing. And I just thought, wow, the, you know, the answer and explanation of that was just so long, I didn't even respond. And it would have been futile, and the Lord just said, let it go. But I just thought, that's the broken thinking. We think that it only costs the pastors. It only costs the church leaders. It's only if I sign up to be a Sunday school teacher for this quarter that it's actually going to cost me something in my faith walk. Rather than recognizing that, what does it mean to sing It's your breath in my lungs, so I pour out my praise. What does it mean to recognize that we we woke up because of the power of God? It is in him that we actually exist. All things exist because of him. Those are the things that this squeeze is going to purify. And honestly, it's going to bring... It is going to bring a beautiful place. I was telling Yvonne, and I'll just say this as I close, I... I don't want to comment too much, but I, Yvonne and I were talking about the Christmas season um, as we were arrived at the church this morning, and, and I, I said, you know, this could be our best Christmas ever, but it's not going to look like the typical Christmas. There are going to be many, many things different. We're already hearing about announcements of things. You know, if you love to go to New York, the Rockettes are canceled. They're not going to do the ball drop the same. They're not going to allow the crowds. There's all the COVID restrictions. There's all the stores that were looted. It's not, it's not going to be the shopping thing that you thought. There's all different places where circumstances are changing. And we've only begun to see the destruction of the Civil War. The things are changing. And yet, because of the hope and the 
presence of God and those who purely want God above the things of this life, the, even the stench of this life, that people that have had encounters where they've been outside uh, and, and have been caught up into heaven, and you've heard some of these stories, have even said there's a different smell about the earth that you don't even recognize. And truly, how, how could we think that there isn't something better in Christ when he says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that he has prepared for those who love him. And so I said, this could be the best Christmas ever, while simultaneously everything that we've ever thought was a good Christmas. Good presents, you know, new clothes, put your tree up, and human, 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 human. And God's like, it's time to just have true spirit eyes. It's time to actually walk by faith and not by the sight of this human realm. So keep in mind that no matter what happens, when the fire burns, the refinement is the most beautiful gold that will come forth. That is where, if we fix our eyes, Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Don't be moved during this time. When you are seeking him, you will weep for your brothers and sisters who don't want him as we always do. We always are grieved for those that turn away from him who aren't willing to give him a section of their life. Yes, I want you, God, but not that part. Oh, I really want you. Don't take my boyfriend. You know how long it took me to get one? You know, things that, are, that we want to hold on to. That's, that will grieve us. But the despair, never be in agreement with anything that's negative because God is about to do wonders in this place, even in the difficulty. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this powerful word. We love you, God. We know that even as First Timothy reminds us, in the last days, perilous times will come. God, we are about to see perilous days like we've perhaps not even imagined except for what your word says. And your word lays out quite a bit. And perhaps, God, perhaps your people have glossed over those Old Testament prophetic realities that are what we will see revealed before us and and they've been boxed into not being applicable while of course being taught in principle in churches god let us see through your holy spirit through the guide that you have given us what is coming and then just pray for your people Pray on our faces before you, God. I know each of us here, certainly in this room, and I pray everyone listening now would, would pray the prayer. We're desperate for you. We want more of you. So, God, as we want more of you, you will not inhabit a place that is also given to the enemy in parts. There must be a cleansed house. But as John said, less of me, less, less, less of me, more of you. So God, let us make room for you as we say that we desire more. God, you are holy. We love you. We praise you. Let this word go deep down to the soil of our hearts, God, that I pray is already cultivated by the readiness of that, that 
three-pronged tool. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit to rip up the soil of our heart, to ready these seeds to go deep down to produce the fruit. And oh God, to produce the harvest, the billion soul harvest that is coming because of what you are going to do, God. You are mighty and holy and we worship you and we give this service to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.